0: Continuing on in a series uh, in the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, the end of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2 today. So Paul's letter to the believers, he had planted a church in Philippi, and he offers these uh, words of encouragement. And so Philippians chapter 1, we're going to begin with verse 27, and then go through chapter 2, verse 4. And once you find that, turn left in your Bibles back to Matthew chapter 16, verse 15, because we're going to read a few verses there as well. Let me begin by reading Philippians chapter 1, beginning with verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have the same. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, to the point of death, even death on a cross." Matthew chapter 16, beginning with verse 15. And Jesus said to his disciples, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Fathers, we come here this morning where our minds are full of words. Our own words, our own own narration of our own life. Words from a conversation this morning, something we read, something in the news, words from the past, words that we hope to hear in the future. So I pray that what cuts through all of those words this morning is your word, and you would help us hear from you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was listening to a speech this week from a bishop in the Anglican Church of North America. The Anglican Church in North America is a a relatively new conservative Anglican movement. Christ Our Hope is a church in Wilmington with that uh, particular group. And the bishop was focusing his speech uh, on the increasing pressures the church faces from the outside world. So he's talking really to his, the, the folks in his denomination, and the, the focus of his speech is there are pressures coming on the church from the outside world, and the way he formed his speech is he was trying to answer these three questions. Listen carefully. What kind of disciple will it take to be faithful and fruitful under the pressure coming upon Christians? He senses the pressure and he wants to ask this question, what kind of disciple is it going to take who can to, to withstand the pressure and not just withstand the pressure, but be faithful, be fruitful in the midst of that? Second question, what kind of church will it take to make that kind of disciple? What kind of church is it going to take that can form that kind of disciple? And number three, what kind of leaders... Will it take to raise up that kind of church? Three great questions three three great questions. If we just stopped here and you went home and talked about it, that would be worthwhile but we're not going to stop here, but those three questions I think are going to are, are going to form what I want to talk about this morning. The increasing pressures the church faces coming from the outside world is not new. It's not just happening now and the church has never faced that. The apostle Paul. He's very concerned about the pressures that are coming on his church. And all these churches that he had gone around to plant, whether it's in Galatia or it's in Philippi or it's in Corinth or it's in Thessalonica, he's going around to these places encouraging them, and he writes a letter back because he knows they're going to face all kinds of pressure, predominantly from the outside world and predominantly in their day from the Roman Empire. And so he writes back, and he's trying to give some instructions, some encouragement, some correction to these churches so they might withstand the pressure. And at the writing of Paul's letter to the Philippians, he's actually in Rome in a Roman prison. And as he writes these these particular words that we read this morning, I think that as he prays and thinks about the church in Philippi, it seems to me he has these three questions in mind or something very close to it. He's thinking, what kind of disciple is it going to take in Philippi to be fruitful, to be faithful under this pressure? And and what kind of church in Philippi is it going to take to, to raise up that kind of disciple? And what kind of leaders is it going to take to lead that church so that that church might be faithful in raising up those kinds of disciples? Well, I want us to hear Paul's answer in this text and make some application to our day, and I want to begin with the last question first. What kind of leaders will it take to raise up that kind of church? If the church is indeed facing pressure from the outside world, it's going to take leaders inside the church, and what kind of leaders are we looking for? And my first question is, who is the real leader of the church? What's the answer to that? Jesus. That's always a good answer. It's always a safe answer. You know, even if it's wrong, it still sounds good that you say Jesus. And so Jesus is the, the true leader of the church. In fact, he says it. That's why we read Matthew 16. He says, I'm going to build my church. He's the leader of the church. He's at the tip of the spear. He's the one that's going to make it happen. He's looking at these disciples and saying, hey, guys, no matter what happens, I'm going to, lead, I'm going to build the church. I'm the leader. I'm going to make this happen. So then that asks this question well, well, how is he going to build the church? What kind of model is he going to provide? If he's the leader and then he's going to leave behind leadership, which we'll talk about in a minute, to the disciples, which way is he leading? What's his model? What's the course that he's setting that he would say, now leaders after me, they need to follow this way? What is that way? That way is Philippians 2. 6 through 8. Here is the model. Here is the way. We've talked about it a number of times. He says, beginning in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves. In other words, I'm not just going to tell you what Jesus did as, as a Savior. I'm also going to tell you what He did as a model to follow. And what did He do? Even though He was in the form of God, He didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but He he made himself nothing. I prefer he emptied himself. And he emptied his, himself from the form of God into what form? A, a servant. And he became obedient. Obedient even to death. See, this isn't just Jesus saying what he did or Paul telling us what Jesus did. He's telling us this is the way. This is particularly the way of those who are going to lead the way in the church. I don't know if you, any of you here are a Star Wars fan and you've kind of got connected to the Mandalorian. Any Mandalorian fans here? Great. Even if you don't know what I'm talking about, you've certainly seen Baby Yoda because Baby Yoda is everywhere now. And uh, the Mandalorian is sort of like a special soldier, you might say, sort of an elite, elite kind of group of people. The Mandalorian. And they have a special code of conduct that you learn about in the show. And during the times of the show, this one guy, this Mandalorian, there's pressure that comes upon him to, to disregard the code of the Mandalorian. There's all kinds of temptations to do something a different way. And whenever that pressure comes on, there'll be sort of a, a stop in the action. And he'll say, and you'll you know it if you're a Mandalorian fan, what does he say? This is the way. This is the way. I know this isn't your way out there. I know this is different than the way the culture's doing it. But he'll stand up in the midst of all that pressure and say, But this is the way. And even though I might prefer something different, even though you might be tempting me to do something different, this is the way. Interestingly enough, in Acts chapter 9, the Apostle Paul refers to the early Christians as the way, the way. So Jesus shows us the way, and the critical question for us is when we read chapter 2, 6, 7, and 8, is it your way? Are you emptying yourself, or are you holding on, you, you're grabbing tight, you've You've got to reach out and get whatever you need for yourself. Or is your way to live open-handed? Are you living as a king or a queen? Or are you living as a servant? Are you willing to die for someone else? Or there's certain things you don't want to do for other people? You see, this... This is the way. It wasn't just Jesus' way. He's saying this is the way for everybody who's following after Jesus. So what kind of leader is it going to take? It's going to take this kind of leader. This kind of leader. And the second way I would answer this question is that although Jesus is the supreme leader, he hands over the keys of the kingdom. Now, that's a big discussion that we don't have time for right now. But at least he's saying, I'm giving over the leadership of the church that I'm going to make sure happens. I'm going to give it to a group of human beings. Now, this wouldn't have been my plan. But he's handing these keys. He's handing this authority. He's handing this leadership and saying, guys, you're going to join me at the tip of the spear. You're going to be now the new leaders of the church. And the Apostle Paul, he's the leader for the Philippians and so I want to ask this question Well, what kind of model is the apostle Paul for the Philippians Well, we won't take the time to turn back to Acts chapter 16 but if you go back there you notice he comes into Philippi and he begins to teach the people about the gospel and the very first thing is he's beaten and he's thrown into prison this is the way This is the way for Paul. He's seen it in Jesus. He's modeling it himself. And he's showing the people who want to follow after him, hey, this is the way it's going to be. This is the way you're going to have to be willing to to live your life. And he says it here in this passage as well in verses 29 and 30. See, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake you you're have you you have to be engaged you hear that 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 soldier kind of language you have to be engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and you know I'm still having because now I'm in a prison in Rome so what kind of leaders will it take to raise up a church of faithful disciples who aren't going to fold under pressure it's going to take these kind of leaders it's going to take the kinds of leaders who, no matter the pressure coming from the outside world, no matter the temptation to compromise the gospel, no matter the the will the, the want to save your own life, no matter the suffering, it's going to take leaders who stand and take a sober look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 and 8 and say, this is my way too. When we install elders and deacons, at Christ Community Church. You've probably seen it. They stand up here. We ask a series of questions. One of those questions is this. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truth of the gospel? Whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you. See, it's not just a throwaway question anymore. Might have been 20 years ago or 50 years ago, but not today pressures are increasing and if you're an elder or a deacon or a staff person here this has to be our way if you want to stand up and take leadership, if you want to get towards the tip of the spear, it has to be somebody who looks at Philippians 2 6-8 through 8 and doesn't just say well I'm so glad Jesus did that so I don't have to, no this is your way this is, this is my way too I got to email from a friend who's a missionary in China. Please pray for my friend just got arrested because he's been distributing Bibles in China. They came in didn't allow him even get a coat and he's 10 days in prison no justice at all just that's the way it rolls there. Well that's the way. That's the cost a leader has to be willing to to pay if they're going to build a kind of church and a kind of disciple. So second question here, what kind of disciple will it take to be a faithful, to be faithful and fruitful underneath this kind of pressure? So now I'm I'm, I'm happily shifting the focus from me to you. The first point is about Pastor Paul, the elders and the deacons. The second point, well, what kind of disciple, what kind of congregation is it going to take? And there's so many so many power packed words and phrases in this passage that, that that all answer that question, but I only have time for a few. Just notice these first the first word only verse twenty seven it 's a word you can kind of just root move on by, but it's, it means something. One commentator says, the force of this word is tremendous. Nothing else must distract or excuse them from this one great objective. It must be their all embracing occupation and some of your bible translations may try to communicate this force they don't have sort of uh, a weak word like only they try to translate it in a different way like above all or only one thing matters or no matter what happens you you feel that force it's not well only and you move on no above all no matter what else happens there's only one thing and if you're a disciple you're 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 st- sitting up going okay Paul's telling me there's just one main thing. So I'm leaning forward and I'm asking myself, well, what is that main thing? Answer, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. That's the main thing. That's the main thing for everyone here who calls themselves a Christian. That your manner of life, not your hour in church, But your manner of life is worthy of gospel. When I intersect you at work, when I intersect you at home, when I intersect you on the roads in Wilmington, your manner of life reflects Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying. He knows there's going to be all kinds of pressure on this, this little group of people that, that have started this church in Philippi. And he's saying, hey guys, I know when the pressure comes on, you're going to want to run to old habits, but uh, above all, let your manner of life express your faith in Christ. Let your manner of life, it's even more powerful for the people who have received this letter because that phrase, manner of life, is one word in the Greek, and it means politics, That's where we get the word politics, it means citizenship. Philippi was a Roman colony, and you were entitled to certain benefits by being part of the Roman uh, group. You owned a, a prized passport, you might say, and all the, the Philippians didn't live in Rome, if you went to Philippi, if you were a visitor from another state or another country or another city, and you went to Philippi, what you were supposed to see is a little miniature Rome. A little miniature homeland. I mean, I don't, have, I don't have the opportunity to go to Rome, but if I go to Philippi, I'm going to get a chance to see what Rome really looks like, how it operates. And so Paul comes into this very proud city preaching the gospel, and he's introducing a new leader, Jesus And he informs everybody who wants to follow this new leader, the very first thing you have to do, turn in your passport. There's a new king. There's a new country. There's a new way to do politics. There's a new citizenship that you have. He says it even in chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. see see what Paul's saying? This is no small thing. When he uses this word, this is a power word. You mean I've got to give up my passport, I've got to give up the ways in which I've been able to operate, the benefits that I have in order to change them in? That's exactly right. You do. There's a new way of doing your life. And Paul wants them to know that as they do this new way of life, then people are going to say, this is a miniature homeland. I I can't express this forcefully enough. When you were a a foreigner coming to Philippi, one of the ideas is that you would walk into the city and say, this is a miniature, a, a little slice of what it looks like to be in Rome. And now Paul is saying, church, when a foreigner comes in, when a stranger comes in and they're in your midst, they should walk away saying, "This is a little miniature picture of heaven. This is what it looks like. This is how the people in heaven are like. This is, this is some kind of taste of something that's different from the world. You see how powerful that is? Uh, a couple of years ago now, I was in India doing a pastor's conference, and it's a long flight from India. It's a long series of flights from India back to America. And so I left India. And my first flight was from an India, a city in India to another city. And so, you know, you just, you're at the airport. <clears throat> I'm the only one that sort of looks different. And I'm just noticing just how people operate. You know, I'm just kind of a student of the culture and just watching how people board a crowded plane, you know, these things. So the next stop, I'm in Delhi, and Delhi is going to, I think it was Belgium. And so I just noticed, hey, as I get on this plane, there's some more cultural diversity here. I'm not the only one. It looks like there's some Europeans on this flight, obviously going back to Belgium. And I just took notice. I just thought, okay, how do these people board the plane? How do these people kind of move around? Then I'm in Belgium, and after a long layover, I'm getting on my Delta flight to Atlanta. And I'm like, yeah, I'm ready to go home. And so I get, I get on the plane. I begin to observe. And a lot of Americans are now on this plane. And I don't know how this person meant this comment. But a, a little ahead of me, so they didn't know I was listening, said, you can tell the Americans on this flight. Now, I don't know if it was positive or negative. But what I want you to see as an example is you can tell. Person citizenship they don't have to pull out a passport and say i'm from the from america you can tell by just the way you interact with these people they're somewhat different they have a different citizenship and paul is trying to tell the people you're going to have a different politic you're going to have a different citizenship you're going to have a different way of life by following jesus and that way that way is the same way it is for leaders Two things I just want to circle here before I get to my third point. A couple of marks of these people, a couple of characteristics is they're going to have a corporate tenacity. You see that in verse 27 and 28. They're standing firm, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is such a, a powerful image. Paul knew it would be hard for this little church to withstand the pressures from the outside. And the worst thing that could happen he said they start to fracture inside. I mean, it's enough pressure coming from the outside. Now if you have pressure from the inside, you're just going to split apart. And he talks in chapter 4 about these two women that are having a problem. And you know it's not a doctrinal issue because he says both of these women, their, their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So they're in the kingdom. But somehow these two women who were striving side by side, they, they begin to break up somehow. And Paul knows this little breakup, as small as it may be, could actually begin to fracture from the inside out on the church. And so he wants a corporate tenacity. He wants this this group of people that are very different, male and female, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, to strive side by side. And the second thing, and maybe most importantly, verse 29, another mark. And I just want you to notice this very clearly for it has been granted to you. Who's granting this? Paul's not granting it to them. God's granting something. And notice what he's granting. It's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe, oh great, so my, my, my faith has been granted to me, yes, to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, If you're like me, you just want to draw a line through that little piece right there. Instead of underlining and highlighting it, you want to take an eraser, and just like, no, not this part. I would have preferred, it says, it's been granted you to believe and prosper. I mean, I would have loved that, wouldn't you? But that's not what he says. God's actually granted it to you that you should believe, and he's granting your suffering. Your suffering is under the sovereign control of God. And disciples who can withstand the pressure from the outside are disciples who understand that whether it's in prosperity or in suffering, everything is coming from God's hand. That's the kind of disciple it's going to take to withstand that kind of pressure. So what kind of disciple will it take to be faithful and fruitful? Someone who's traded in their passport. I'm just not operating by this world's system anymore. I'm operating in a different system because I have a different citizenship. And secondly, someone who's striving side by side with others. They're they're not allowing these secondary issues to come in and fracture them. And they know that all their suffering, even as difficult as it may be, is from God himself for his purposes. Finally, let's answer this final question. What kind of church will it take to make that kind of disciple? So so what kind of leader, leaders is it going to take? What kind of disciples is it going to take? What kind of church is it going to take to make that sort of disciple? And the answer is so clear, you can't possibly miss it. It's a unified church. You see, You see it. He says it five different ways. One spirit, one mind, side by side, having the same love, being in full accord. It's just peppered all the way through this passage. So what's gonna, what's gonna, what is it going to take for this church? It's gonna, we're going to have to be unified because there's going to be all kinds of pressure coming from the outside. We have to have unity on the inside. And although I could say a lot about this unity, I really want to stop and ask the question, how does Paul expect us to have the kind of unity? Rather than just talk about what it looks like, I want to go back and say, well, how are we supposed to reach this unity? First of all, I want to stop and think about who may have been the first few members of the church in Philippi. Acts chapter 16. You can go back and read it later today. Who are the first, let's say the first five members of the church? Well, Paul. He's Jewish, he's a Hebrew. His partner, Silas, he's Greek. Then you remember Lydia. Lydia, the seller of purple cloth, she's from Asia. She's a businesswoman. And then you have the Roman jailer. What must I do to be saved? Remember that? So he's a Roman man. He's a a soldier. And then you have this slave girl who's been delivered from some kind of demonic depression. So here's the first five people. A Jew, a Greek, an Asian, a Roman soldier, and a slave. Can you get more diverse in your first five people than these five people? How are these five people who come from... Very different cultures and very different ethnicities. How are they going to possibly get together under one church? How are they going to be unified? And Paul says it. You've got to trade in your old passports, your old politics, and learn to operate as a new way. And he contrasts the ways. It's very easy to see. Here are the old ways that all of you all were used to. Selfish ambition or rivalry, it says. This is the old ways you're going to have to trade in in order to be unified. The, the word here really means faction. And, of course, you wouldn't be familiar with it, but uh, just in case, in case you need some help, faction is a small group of people who get together, who have one sort of belief, and they be, begin trying to work their way into the larger group. Now, I know you've never seen this, but I'm just saying it does happen in organizations. It can happen in a church we so We're not doing it that way anymore that's the old way that's the world's way of doing it. We're trading in selfish ambition we're trading in conceit. A better word there is vain glory empty glory you're 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 primarily doing things so it looks good on yourself. Remember the wise man in Ecclesiastes vanity vanity, all is vanity when you're just polishing a monument to yourself. And finally, the last old way you're trading is is I'm looking out for my interest. When I walk in, I'm self-narrating myself into the story, and it's just all about me. And the new way, humility. And Paul defines humility, counting others more significant than yourselves. Looking out for the interest of others. This is the way. When somebody doesn't know Jesus walks in, they're they're noticing these things. Are they really just about their interests first? Are are they the most significant, or is there something new here? I'm I'm boarding I'm boarding this plane called Christ Community Church, and I'm just being able to pick out. Okay, yeah, these these people are a little bit different. You might say these are not Christian character traits, although they are, I think they're Jesus character traits, and he's the model, and he's asking us to follow. Now, Let me give you two applications of where that has and will take place in Christ Community Church today, and then we'll move towards communion. First of all, what's one of the biggest challenges we're facing right now as a church? COVID. Right? Everybody's facing that. How do you, how are you going to operate? And I want you to know this whole thing has a lot of ways God's operating, but for the church, it's a little test. It's not a big test. This is not somebody coming and resting you today and putting you in jail for 10 days. It's a tiny little test. And can you wear your mask without grumbling? Now, you may be thinking I'm looking at right at you. And maybe I am looking at right at you. <laughs> But do you you see how this isn't isn't something really? You know that, don't you? It's really not a big thing. It's just a tiny little test to say, can I look out for somebody else's interest above my own? And if you go away grumbling and complaining, then you need to look at your heart. You don't need to look at the policies of the church or blame the governor. It's just a tiny little test to say, hey, it's going to get harder. And if you're going to get thrown off by the mask, boy, you're not going to make it very far. Because this isn't a big thing. And I want to say thank you. Because I feel like for the most part, we've done a great job. Look, I don't don't like wearing a mask. I get in my car and complain. I don't complain to you. I just complain to myself. And maybe you do too. But it hasn't been. I've heard many churches having a big problem with this. And I want you to say thank you. It hasn't been a problem here. Now, it maybe it's a problem in your own heart, and you have to deal with that with the Lord. That's okay. But thank you. But you, do you see? It's a tiny little test. And I think God's saying, hey, guys, if you can't pass this tiny little test, other pressures, you're going to just explode. Second thing, Trinity. You're going to go over today right after the service. You're going bring your family or whatever. You're going to walk over there, and this is what you're going to say. Oh, wow. It's a beautiful building. Four acres, this big field in the back. It's beautiful. You're going to say, I can't believe we got four acres just given to us. It's worth over a million dollars, and somebody just gave it to us a few weeks ago. I can't believe it. And some of the creative types are going to go, some of the people are hungry and say, let's go eat. But some of the creative types, they're going to say, oh, i got all these ideas, what we should do with Trinity. That's awesome. And we want that to happen. And we want everybody to have a great idea. But guess what? In the end, we can't do everybody's great idea. We can only do one or two great ideas. And it, just just pretend it's not yours. Just pretend for a moment it's not yours. That will be a tiny little test. Just to say, you know what? Somebody's else's interest above my own. Now, I have every hope that that is how it's going to work. I'm not afraid of that or concerned about it. I'm just saying it's a present test that will say something about the church. When Fred, the pastor of the church, came to me and said, I want to give it to you, I said, Fred, I know you can't handle the weight of that right now, but I want you to know you're introducing a weight into my church that currently they're not experiencing. And it's possible we could bear the weight or it's possible it could break us up. And I have to be careful about that. So it's a tiny, tiny little test. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a what an important and providential passage for us today. That we would take communion, we'd remind ourselves... We're following after you. You're the new model. You're the, the, the king in a new country. We, we are now citizens. We're sons and daughter of the king. We live in a different way. And we're going to need to learn how to live in that way because of the pressures that are coming from the outside world. So would you help us to be unified? Would you help us to not take our own interests but have the interests of others? to be a servant. Would you help us really to trust that even in our suffering, you're sovereign over all things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.